Today on Lessons for Living, the teaching ministry of Mark Ballmer, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne in Melbourne, Florida. For unforgiveness blocks our relationship with God. Unforgiveness blocks our faith. Unforgiveness blocks our power in prayer. So if you're holding something this morning, interesting to me, a man went to John Wesley one day, great English preacher, and he said this, I never forgive and I never forget. John Wesley turned to him and said this, then sir, I hope you never sin. You see, if you never forgive, you will never be forgiven. When you go to God in prayer, do you already have an idea of how he could answer it for you? We often have an agenda, especially when it comes to the desires of our hearts. But if you can let go of that selfish desire and earnestly seek His will, whatever that might be, He will hear your wants as well as your needs. Imagine a child hands you a map of the route they're going to take to get to school. It's full of dangerous crossings, but also passes by a candy shop. Wouldn't you still send them the safer way, even if it meant missing out on the candy? Our will can blind us to things that God can see, so trust that He will do what's best. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of this broadcast. Now let's join Pastor Mark in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, verse 23, with our continuing study entitled, Removing Mountains Through Prayer. So maybe you're in a holding pattern this morning, and you're just, God, where are you? Relax. He knows. Wait for his timing. Something better will come along. Now, let's go to another favorite, one of mine. No answers. You ask, and you get no. Well, let's talk about six reasons. Look at verse 23 in the book of Mark, chapter 11. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. The first reason we get no answers is very simply this. We haven't asked. James 4.2 says, you do not have because you do not ask. What I find in my life is sometimes we're very surprised at things that don't happen that we think should happen. And when you stop and reflect on it, you realize you never prayed and asked God for it to happen. How interesting that we could come on a Sunday and Saturday night and Sunday night and to the Crusades, that, and this is what Greg Larry talked about in the Crusades, that we've become so used to this that we in our own prayer life don't stop and say, and by the way, you should be doing this every week, God, this weekend, bring people to Jesus Christ. Here's the second thing you should pray. God, this weekend, cause Christians to be fed and to be growing and maturing. Don't assume it, ask it. Sometimes we don't ask God. It's simply not given to us because we don't ask. Now, why don't we ask? Here's why. Because I'm going to arrange all the circumstances. I'm going to set all the people in place. I'm going to take everything right. And then when it doesn't happen, I go, whoops, I guess I better pray. Very often, 
we use our supposed intelligence to be the first way to get things in our life. Or the pulling of strings, politically, whatever you want to say. So prayer, instead of being the first choice, often becomes the last resort. Think how often you go through all kind of jazz, and then you stop and go, whoops, I didn't even pray about it. Well, no wonder you didn't have it, because you didn't pray. The second reason is this, unbelief. Notice in the first reason there, in verse 23, it says, if anyone says to the mountain... So if you don't say to the mountain, it won't be removed. You have to pray it. Second one is unbelief. Notice in that verse it says, Go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. How many know what weak faith is? Anybody here know what weak faith is? How many know what no faith is? How many know what super, super strong spiritual faith is? Two, three, good. Most of us have weak faith. Most of us doubt. And see, Satan loves to cause you to doubt. So when you look at this mountain in your life back here, visualize now what you wrote, your marriage, a work situation, a layoff, a job, person coming to Lord, whatever it is, sickness, look at it. When you look at it, you go, man, it's too big. It's too big. God says if I pray about it, but I just can't believe it's going to happen. Well, here's one thing you can pray to God. You can pray to God and say this, God, my faith is weak. Increase it. That's an honest prayer. That's a good prayer. We see it in the Bible. So often I have to say that. God, I'd love to have people come to the Lord at every one of our services, that their hearts would be open. I can't orchestrate that. Their heart must be open. Then they must make their personal choice. They must make that choice. But I can sure pray in faith. And I want to do that. But sometimes I just doubt. And you look and you say, well, looks like everybody's a Christian today. But we don't know that. God only knows that. So we must pray. And when you look at your mountain, don't go, it's impossible, God. Just say, God, I, I know you can do it. I believe you can do it. I know it's good for me. And this is what I want you to do. But God, help my unbelief. Now, if I could tell you this morning... How to have perfect faith. Faith that would be strong and would get answers to your prayers to remove mountains. How many like it? Six of them. What do the rest of you do the rest of the week? Just sit out there and like blobs of jelly or what? Well, you think, well, what's this? You tell me what it is first before I agree to it, see? But you can't go to God and say, God, do this. I've already got it prearranged. And if you give me the right answer, I'll do what you want to do. That doesn't work. Doesn't work. Here's how you have strong faith. Listen. There's only one way to have strong faith. The Bible says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So here's what happens. You say, you mean it's that simple? Yes. The more you're into the Word, the more the Word's through you, the stronger your faith will become. You see, what happens when you're studying, and that's why it's so good to see the church just filled with people who are studying God's That's why we study God's Word. Because see, it isn't man, it isn't Calvary Chapel, it isn't Chuck Swindoll, it isn't any of that stuff. It's God's Word. And the Word is powerful, and it will change your life, it will change your neighbor's life, it will change anybody's life who will believe. And how do I believe? The more I study the Word of God, 
privately here, Sunday night. Here's what happens. The more I study the Word of God, the more I understand His character and how great He is. And then I go, this wall, nothing for God. And I look at all these circumstances. See, some of you are hit and miss Christians. You just make it when you can make it. Do you know who's interfering with that? It's Satan. Because he knows this. He doesn't want you in the Word of God. Because if you're not in the Word of God, you can pray all you want, but you'll have no faith. Now remember, it isn't legalistic. You mean if I come every Sunday, Mark, do I have to come to all three services that are the same? Will that give me strong faith? No. That's ridiculous. Do you have to be here every night? No. You just need to be in His Word of God, loving Him from a loving relationship with God. And as you do it, you see how awesome He is. So if you want strong faith, that's where it comes from. Hearing, listening, and obeying God's Word. Number three, what's another reason God gives us a no answer? Our motives are wrong. Selfishness. Now, James chapter 4, 3, you can write that down, we won't go there, says this, When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. Many people, if you look at verse 24, they take this verse, and if you've been in a faith church, you've heard this verse, and it's been taken out of context, and you probably heard it taught a thousand times, out of balance. But the principle is still true. Let's read it. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Is that a strong verse or what? Is the verse we just read that says, if I ask God in prayer and in faith, I'll get anything I ask for. Is that a blank check from God? Absolutely not. And that's what some of you have been taught. And because of that, you've become God. God is not your robot to answer every request you ask. Because many of the things we ask for, we ask selfishly and out of the wrong motive. And God is not going to give them to us. So you have to understand the context with which this verse has been written. Now, to understand that, by the way, this verse is still true. It's 100% true if... If you're asking in God's will for the right thing. Well, how do I know God's will? Well, one of the ways is to study the Bible. For instance, when I pray for people to come to Jesus Christ on the weekend, is that in God's will? Certainly, because His Word says He desires how many to perish? I gave you the clue. Zero. So that means I can ask in perfect faith. Now remember, Jesus gives this broad statement, not a blank check, to who? To his disciples. Turn in your Bibles. Keep your finger there quickly. Turn your Bibles to, to Psalm 37. Jesus is a- saying this, this principle, this powerful principle of prayer to his disciples. And what is a disciple? Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow him. So what Jesus is saying as he's teaching this principle to his disciples is this. A disciple will not be praying for his own selfish desires but always for the will of God in his or her life that the kingdom of God might be extended. Remember the big view from God again. The big view from God again. When I pray in the Lord's Prayer, uh, your will on earth as it's already done in heaven, so it's God's will. Look at Psalm 37, 4. 
Notice the sequence. Number one, delight yourself in the Lord. And then what? He will give you the desires of your heart. So first of all, I have to delight myself in the Lord. What does that mean? It means putting God's agenda before your own. So when you pray, you say, God, this is what I'd like you to do if this is in your will. I put your agenda before mine. And I, I just pray in faith that you'll believe it. Now, if you've put your selfishness in there and you say, God, do this and do that and do the other. Here's what I've orchestrated. Here's what I want. Bless it. Then you missed it. But look, if I put his will first, look at the last part of verse 4. And he will give you the desires of your heart. There's the goodness of God again. So it is not about instructing God about my plan, but it's about getting God to show me his perfect plan. Notice that verse doesn't say, pray for the desires of your heart, and then go ahead and delight yourself in the Lord. Notice the sequence. It's always putting God's first. So maybe many of our no answers are because we're just praying selfishly. We don't care about God's plan. I want mine. Number four, unconfessed sins. The Bible says in Psalm 66, 18, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would have not listened. There are some of you this morning that get no answers to your prayers because there's sin in your life. I'm talking about a believer. God wants you to confess. Perhaps some of you have a sin in your life right now that remains unjudged and unconfessed. Maybe you're even committing that sin right now and you're getting no answers and you don't understand it. Well, God just spoke to your heart right now as I'm speaking to you. It's because there's an area that you have not confessed to God. You see, God is more concerned about your relationship with Him than He is about answering your request. Do you understand that? Because, see, I'm going to live with Him forever. So He wants your heart to be right. Then the rest of the stuff is just piddly stuff really to Him. It's minor. Big to me, but minor to God. He wants your heart to be right with Him first. Number five, an improper relationship between a husband and wife. This is a strange one. I don't have time to go there this morning other than to give you the verse, and I want you to study it. By the way, this is going to be homework for husbands, so get ready. First Peter chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. First Peter chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. Let me just read verse 7 for you. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives... And treat them with respect as the weaker partners and heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So here's what I find. A husband and wife are supposed to be in oneness, in unity. But there's an issue that's unresolved in the marriage. By the way, don't, this chapter is not in, in First Peter. is not written to believers. It's even written to a spouse who is married to an unbelieving spouse. So you're not going to agree on everything, but there needs to be a unity in the home. Satan wants to divide your home, you know that. So your prayers will be hindered if you're not in unison. So maybe there's a husband or wife who needs to go home to their spouse and say, here's an area. I ask forgiveness. I've had a hard heart. I've held it. I don't know what it is, but you know. And you're sitting here right now. And you wonder why things aren't going good at home. That's the reason. Again, God's interested in your heart, and then He's interested in your home. See, Satan would love your home to be together, but no power, no prayer. Husbands and wives, you need God's power in your home. If you have children, my, do you need God's power. 
as they're raised, as they go through our schools, as they go into this area of sin, you as a husband and wife can't have your prayers hindered. You must be together so you can pray for your kids. What a horrible thing to have your kids' lives destroyed because your prayers are hindered because you're not together. You're not flowing together. You know what it is this morning. I can't tell you what it is, but you know. If you're a husband this morning, take this paper and write this note. Husbands, go ahead. Wives, give your husband the paper. He's probably not writing the notes. Go ahead. Hand him the paper and pen. Here's what I want you to write. If your husband isn't here, take it home. Take it home as a message from me. Here's what I want you to write, husband. You need to pray with your wife. You need to pray with your wife. Some of you don't ever pray with your wife. You need to pray with your wife. You're the spiritual head. What are you doing? What are you doing? I'm not a spiritual guy. Football time, you're okay. Start praying. Start praying. By the way, wives, don't say that wasn't much of a prayer. (laughs) Give them a shot. Let them pray. We come to the last one. Unforgiveness. Look at verse 25. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, by the way, is that broad enough? If you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. This, I believe, is the major blockage, the most common hindrance to prayer. Jesus says you have to have faith and you have to pray with a heart that's been forgiven and you're forgiving others. You have to do more than talk about forgiveness. You have to forgive. Here's what forgiveness does. To pray effectively, you must forgive others. For unforgiveness blocks our relationship with God. Unforgiveness blocks our faith. Unforgiveness blocks our power in prayer. So if you're holding something this morning, interesting to me, a man went to John Wesley one day, great English preacher, and he said this, I never forgive and I never forget. John Wesley turned to him and said this, Then, sir, I hope you never sin. You see, if you never forgive, you will never be Forgiven. So what do you do? Number one, if you're here this morning, you're holding a grudge against somebody, there's a hurt, and maybe you didn't even cause it. You need to, number one, humble yourself. And go to the individual and ask forgiveness. You say, well, I didn't cause it. Doesn't matter. Matthew 18 says, you go. That's why the word humble is there. You humble yourself and you ask forgiveness. Now, you don't go to the person and say, Pastor Mark said, if I'm going to get my prayers answered, I've got to ask you to forgive me. <laughs> Will you forgive me now? You can forget your prayer. Don't come to prayer time. It ain't no good for here. Just get out of here. Now, what if the person has died that you have unforgiveness in your heart for? Here's what you do. You go to God, because that's the only person you can talk to. And you say, God, before my dad died, or uncle, brother, boss, whatever, I did some things and I never asked forgiveness. Tell God, get on with your life. If you have a friend that you've offended or they've offended you and you have unforgiveness in your heart today, you know, I can't tell you what, you have it. You call them, you write them, you go face to face, you confess. You don't have to go through the whole deal. Just do it in love. 
and then get on with your life, and you'll watch that God blesses you. Now, those six things tell us about the no answers to God. Aren't you glad that sometimes God said no to prayers that you ask? How many can think of things? Oh, I can think of lots. I'll tell you one. If you're old enough and you wonder that God didn't say yes to some of your answers, He gave you a no, just reflect for a moment. Go to your next high school or college reunion. And look for that person that when you were 17 or 21, you knew God was going to give you as a spouse. You know, the good looker and the, the muscular guy. The one that you knew had to be God's man or woman for you. And you were angry when God said no. Try to find him. You won't find him by face because they're a little different now. You will find them by name tag only. And when you see them, step back in a quiet place, away from the crowd, and go like this. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't that right? Oh, hallelujah, you're such a good God. You said no. Oh, thank you. Because the football player that you thought was great, his stomach looks like a football. And the gal that had such beautiful skin and whatever. Oh, my goodness. Thank you, Jesus. Let's go on to good answers, God's yes answers. What are the six conditions for effective prayer? They're really the six hindrances turned around in a positive way. Let me give them to you quickly. Number one, pray. Number two, pray in faith. Number three, pray in God's will. Number four, pray in holiness. No unconfessed sins. Number five, pray in marital unity. And number six, pray and forgiveness. Notice, pray, 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 pray. Why did I say that? Because you can sit here this morning, take copious notes, get a tape, buy a book on prayer, listen to all of these teachings, and never pray. You have to pray yourself. If I want God to answer my prayers, I have to pray. Now, facing you this morning is a mountain. If I'm going to pray, let me just give you a couple things quickly. Number one, I need to have some scheduled time with God to pray. If you don't schedule a little bit of time with God, a few days a week, you will never pray. How many know something always comes up? It just always comes up. So you have to do that. Number two, I would encourage you to write out your prayers, document them with a date, and then when God answers them in red, write it. Because that will build your faith more than anybody else's. Because they're your prayers from your God. What an awesome thing to look back. And thirdly, you need this morning to believe in the bigness of God and the smallness of the mountain. God is awesome. Your mountain is small. It's nothing to God. Believe in His power this morning, in His love. Whatever is facing you, Christian, you need to believe in it, in the greatness of God today, in His love for you, His love for you. In trying to clear out all the junk in our lives to create a clean pathway of communication to God, we discovered all the obstacles that could be in our way unbelief, wrong motives, unconfessed sins, unforgiveness, 
all of these problems erode our faith and create distance between us and the Lord. Pastor Mark encouraged believers to pray in faith, in His will, in His holiness and forgiveness, to pray effectively. Lessons for Living is the teaching ministry of Mark Balmer of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. The messages that you hear each day here on Lessons for Living were produced from messages that Pastor Mark shared at the main campus in Melbourne. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're listening right now in Brevard County and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet at the Melbourne and Vieira campuses on Saturday night at 6 p.m. and Sunday morning at 8.30 and 10.45 a.m. And those in the Sebastian area can join us Saturday nights at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 10.45 a.m. For more information, call us toll-free at 866-779-3441. That's 866-779-3441. Or log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and follow the link to the church website. Now, the next time you join us here on Lessons for Living, we'll be looking at the authority of the Lord, how it's expressed and how we fit into the structure of God's authority. Pastor Mark will examine the authority of God's Word and how some churches have distorted the Word through their additions and subtractions to it. We'll see how Jesus explained the right to exercise power when He speaks to the disciples. You've been listening to Lessons for Living with Pastor Mark Balmer of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. Please join us again here on Lessons for Living, and together, let's do life right. 